Thanks for tuning in to the podcast of The Porch Church. We hope today's message blesses you and encourages you in your spiritual journey. If you have questions, visit us on the web, www.theporchchurch.tv. Well, as we get started, before we jump into the message today, I want to make sure that you know what next week is. Make sure that you're invited back. We've kind of been building up to next week, the 31st, for a couple of weeks now. We're going to invite our leadership team uh, and also um, our district superintendent. So he oversees churches affiliated with us from Nebraska all the way down through Texas. And we're going to be here to have a really important conversation about the future and direction of our church. And I really can't enforce this enough. If you consider the Porch Church to be your home church, if this is the place where you worship, you absolutely do not want to miss next week. Now, I understand people are traveling, can't be here every week, but make plans now to either tune in and watch the live stream, porch.church backslash live, and you can tune in right alongside of us, or make plans to listen to the podcast, catch the YouTube uh, on our channel on Monday. You can find all of those links links uh, at porch.church and be able to get connected with us. And of course, there's going to be food. Uh, so you'll want to show up for no other reason than for that. If you have the last name A through N, bring a main dish, M through Z. Uh, very scientific. Please bring a side or a dessert. This has been time tested when it comes to potlucks, right? This is how you ensure that you have the proper ratio between the main dish. Bring whatever you want to. I've never been to a potluck where we've ran out of food, uh, but we're going to have this conversation. We're going to have some lunch together, and uh, then we're going to launch out into an initiative that we have as we prepare uh, for Easter, which is really right around the corner as well, coming up April 21st. Our services change a little bit for that day, 9 and 11 a.m., with a huge Easter egg hunt uh, at 10.25 a.m. Somebody was asking if we need Easter eggs. Uh, no, Andrew, our outreach director was just down. We have like five huge Rubbermaid tubs of eggs. I got eggs coming out of my ears. What I don't have is candy. So if you want to grab a bag, non-chocolate, please, so it doesn't melt and ruin Easter dresses, uh, you can bring those. Uh, please, by next week, we're going to start sending people home with eggs to pack with candy. So uh, really, if you can bring uh, a dish to share next week and some non-chocolate candy for Easter eggs, um, then you'll get an extra star in your crown. Uh, it's somewhere at the, it's at the end. It's coming up. We'll get there later. Anywho, let's jump into uh, our message this morning. We're on week eight uh, of this series. It's been a little bit long. Hopefully it's been good though. And we've been walking alongside a book with the same title, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. Scaz I don't know how to pronounce the name. It's been eight weeks. I still don't get it. Uh, but we've been walking through this and now we're kind of find ourselves at the end. And so today where I'd like to take our time is to really look back over the past couple weeks to put some things together and in practice because the, the worst thing that could happen is that we just walk away from this and we just go, wow, that was a really good series. That was a really good series of messages. Wow, that was really informational and impactful, but walk away with no life change. So the question for us today, maybe for every single week when we learn something new from God's Word is, okay, so how do I make this stick? 
How do I make what we've talked about come alive? How does this transform and transition us from just something that we talked about that one time at church to something that makes an impact in our lives, right? At some point, all of the knowledge that we gain, all of the things that we glean, whether it's information about ourselves or about Scripture or about Jesus, must impact the actual way that we live our lives. It can't just remain in our heads. It can't just be a good story. It has to be impactful at some level. And so way back in week one, you remember we kind of used this idea of the iceberg to illustrate a bit of how our emotions and our spirituality play in, that there's this 10% above the water and there's this 90% that kind of lurks beneath, and that while too much of the time we spend our time on that surface level just changing our behavior, changing the words that we say, God and Jesus want to get down into the depths of our heart and souls to affect what drives us, what pushes us forward. And so if we're actually going to encounter God in a real meaningful way, we can't just stay on the surface of our emotions, of our spirituality, of our life. We have to go down deep into the areas that affect the decisions that we make. We said it this way in week one, that Jesus isn't after behavior modification. He's after transformation. He doesn't just want to help us live better lives. He doesn't just want us to behave on Sundays, to use proper language, and to show up to life group once in a while and serve. No, he wants us to be transformed from the inside out to the very deepest parts of our soul and then let our behavior spring up from the well of life that he puts in place in us. See, transforming the 90% of us that's below the surface takes a deep, hard look in the mirror. And it takes a set of intentional actions and habits that connect us more intimately with God and allow him full access to transform the areas hidden beneath the surfaces of our lives. And here's the reality. Very few people have an intentional plan for spiritual growth. We have an accidental plan for spiritual growth. We have a, a functional plan for spiritual growth, right? If I, if I show up to church and, and if I pray or read my Bible, if I show up to small groups, serve a little bit, then, then I expect that I'll grow in my life. I expect that I'll be closer to God at the end of it, which is probably right. It's mostly true. The, the problem is that we don't have an intentional set of directions to achieve the desired goals that we have in our spiritual lives. Some of us, we've never even given that a thought or worse, we don't even know how to ask that type of question. As I was reading the book in preparation for this message, this quote leapt off the page at me, and I thought I'd share it with you. He says, is it any wonder that most people live off other people's spirituality rather than taking the time to develop their own direct experiences of God? Most Christians talk about prayer, but don't pray. Most believe the Bible is the Word of God, but have little idea what it says. Our goals for our children, for our family, differ little from non-Christians. And lest you think that he's just talking about us, right? This goes all the way back to Exodus, to the people at the mountain. And they're going, no, 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 we don't want to hear directly from God. Moses, you go up and you tell us what he says because we'll die if he speaks to us. 
right? Too often we show up into these spaces and, and don't feel like I'm separating myself from you. I'm right with you. Too often we live our spiritual lives through the journeys of other people instead of embarking on an endeavor for ourselves to discover who we are, who he's created us to be, and what he has for us. We cannot hope to be transformed into the people that God created us to be in Jesus by just coasting through a generic spiritual journey that we see other people walking. It's going to take discipline. It's going to take hard work. There has to be an effort applied. It's going to take intentionality. And by now, you've lived long enough to know that anything in life worth doing takes all of those things. Your spiritual life, the spiritual journey, is no different than other facets of your life. We must have plans to achieve what God has for us to walk alongside him. Now, many of us have morning routines. If I invited you out to coffee and I said, hey, tell me about your morning routine, you'd probably have a set of actions that you do regularly, right? Well, I I wake up, I get the kids ready for school, we eat breakfast, I shower, we get out the door, I get to work on time, all these kinds of things. You may have a driving routine, right? How many of you guys drive the same way every single day to work? You get caught in the same traffic, and no matter what you do, it's always the same car in front of you, even if you take a different way. All right, we have routines that we do at work, right? Your first five minutes at work, you go make coffee in the break room, you check in at your friend's desk, you check your email. We have these regular patterns and habits that we find ourselves in, and so today what I'd like to suggest to you and to us together is that really we need a spiritual routine. We need a set of applications, a set of practices that we do regularly that connect us intentionally and on purpose with the spiritual growth that God has for us in our lives. Throughout centuries, people have modeled their lives around this idea about connecting themselves to God more fully in regular practices. The the word that we're going to use today is called a rule of life. A rule of life simply means this. It's an intentional conscious plan to keep God at the center of all that we do. And I'm out right there, right? It's an intentional, okay, so I've got I've to I've be intentional at this, or I've got to put something out there. It's not just accidental. It's not haphazard. It's not just what comes my way I'll take in. There's an intentional step to it. There's a conscious step, right? So it's something that I'm actively thinking about. It doesn't happen unconsciously while I'm sleeping or unconsciously while I just go throughout my day. Okay, I have to, I have to think about this and apply myself to this to keep God, to keep God in my life, to keep God next to me, no, to keep God centered in my my life, to keep him front and focused, to keep him being the thing that I orient myself around, much like the earth revolves around the sun. How do we keep God in the center of our spiritual journey? Well, not just our spiritual journey, but like all that we, all that we do, everything, yeah, everything that we do. Okay, um, that, that's, that's a lot. That's, that's a good chunk, right? That would keep you busy for a whole lot of time. But before we dismiss this as just something that could only be achieved through us joining a monastery or a convent, let's actually recognize that this is the call that, that God has placed on our lives from the very beginning. Remember the rich young ruler, right? Luke 18, 
He's this spiritual person. He's a leader in the community, and Jesus is walking around doing his Jesus thing. And uh, he, of course, has a question because he's a smart fellow. He goes, hey, Jesus, uh, what do I got to do to gain eternal life, to inherit? What do I got to do to get what's mine is the heartbeat of the question. And Jesus says, easy. You know the commandments, right? Just keep all the commandments, everything prescribed to you. Dude goes, yep, got it. Really? All of them? All of them, Jesus. I got it down. What else you got for me? He just says, sweet. Well, in that case, just sell everything you have and come follow me. Everything? Yeah, just sell everything and come follow me. And it says he goes away sad, right? Because of his great wealth. The call from God has always been everything. The stories and examples that we have in Scripture are disciples leaving property and family and income and stability to do nothing but follow after him. So let's all quit our jobs, and we're just going to have church every day. You just come right on back. No clue how we're going to pay the bills. We'll worry about that later. Uh, But uh, just show up here, and we'll do the thing, right? Y'all aren't objecting strongly enough to that, which makes me nervous. (laughs) Not exactly, right? So how do we navigate this tension between being on a spiritual journey, being spiritual beings, which God is leading us, but needing to do certain sets of actions to live and exist and be in the world as he's called us to? What does it take to work on our soul while at the same time working on our lives? And probably more importantly and most importantly, how do we realize that the two are not different but the same? How do we recognize that the life that we live here is entirely connected with our spiritual journey and development, that there is no separation between what you do on Sunday and what we do on Monday, that it's all lived out under God's rule and his pleasure and his purpose in our life? Because here's the reality. God is not against you living your life. He's actually more for you than you are for yourself. He's incredibly passionate about you. He wants you to have life and life to the full, as Pastor Greg pointed out to us this morning. He just happens to know what's best for you, and he knows that if all we do is address that 10% on the surface, then you're missing out on the fullness of life that he has to offer you in Jesus. And so while we strive for things that make our life better on the surface, right? We want easier, we want smoother, we want cleaner, we want more fun. God God is far more interested in the deep dive. He wants to give us more peace. He wants to make us more hopeful. He wants to teach us to be content with him in all situations, to be more loving to everyone that we come in contact with. He wants what's best for you now and in the life to come. So we need a set of actions that help us bring that into reality. This idea of a rule of life, that word rule comes from a Latin word, which doesn't mean ruler, it just means a straight stick. So you might think ruler yardstick, which isn't quite correct. It actually is an agricultural term. It's the straight stick that they would put into the ground so that grapes were able, grapevines were able to grow up and be stronger. I found a picture. It's not really an ancient one, uh, but you can kind of see the purpose here that when, we, that when they gave the vine structure, they put this rule, this straight stick into the ground. It would allow them to grow up like a vine trellis and more healthy grapes were able to to grow on the vine. The rule produced more fruit. 
It produced more vitality. It produced more growth. The rule was for the benefit of the harvest. And I want to make the case that a rule of life is not meant to be all-consuming, nor is it meant to be restrictive. It's meant to enable us to grow to maturity and to bear much fruit. The fruits of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience, right? Last week we touched on this subject and it's worth repeating again that structure brings freedom. Structure actually brings freedom, which can be a little counterintuitive, right? But we aren't teenagers anymore. Are you with me? Structure rules when you're a teenager were the worst, were they not? Some of you don't remember being teenagers. I still do. Right? The rules were meant to hold us down. They were meant to hold us back. They were hindering us. Man, structure is the enemy. We just got to be free. None of you are with me this morning? That's fine. I'm having fun up here. I don't mind y'all, right? But you aren't teenagers anymore, right? Now you've learned that rules provide safety and security and dependability. And then you had children. And now rules are life-saving, right? Without rules, there is chaos and disorder and anarchy. And now we have rules in our house for bedtime and wake-up time. And no, you can't have cotton candy for dinner. Why? It's just the rule, right? I don't have to explain it. It's life-giving. Trust me. It just doesn't work out any other way. As a matter of fact, we have a new rule in my house. We instituted a mandatory no electronics reading together as a family for 30 minutes. Let me tell you, it has been life giving, right? Not the first like week or so. It was like nails on a chalkboard, pulling teeth, horrendous. I don't think anybody did any reading. But now it's a rule. And we just go, hey, time to turn electronics off. We're going to do 30 minutes of reading. And we sit on the couch as a family. And it's quiet. And we just read. And my soul is just overflowing with life, right? From a simple rule, right? Because structure rules a trellis, something that can help us grow stronger, actually gives us life. It doesn't take away from life. It's meant to enhance it, to make it better, to give us the structure that we need to achieve all that God has for us, right? It's not freedom from something. It's freedom to pursue what God has for us to pursue, And make no mistake, in your life, in the way that your life is structured, you are completely free to pursue whatever results you should happen to choose. Dr. Henry Cloud says it this way, you are ridiculously in charge of you. You're ridiculously in charge. Nobody else is calling the shots. Nobody else is making the rules. Nobody else is in control of the outcomes of your life except you. You're in charge of the choices that you make. You're in charge of the repercussions that come with those choices. You don't have to go to work tomorrow. Call them up, tell them your pastor said so. I don't mind. There may be consequences, right? But you're free to pursue those. There's nothing holding you back from having the exact results that you want. So if you want a job, you should show up to work tomorrow, right? That's how this works. But the point being that we have the ability to manage the outcomes in our lives. And for the areas that we most desire, we can structure our lives to achieve the results that we most want to achieve. So, for instance, if your highest desire in this season of your life would be financial freedom or stability, you may find yourself working multiple jobs, right? Hiding away all of the coins that you can, paying down debt, maybe even looking forward to saving for retirement because you're trying to do something in this season. And so your highest desire is set on achieving that goal. 
right? It may mean that if you want freedom in your free time, that means that you've structured your life in such a way that your weekends are free, that you don't have work constraints, that you don't have other things to do, that you can get away to the mountains, go hiking, go skiing, go do the things that you want to do because you've structured your life to achieve those results. Or it may mean that you want to spend as much time with your family as possible. And so you've structured your time to be able to be home, one of you perhaps, spend time with the kids as they raise themselves and grow up. You have the freedom to achieve whatever you want in your life. And all of that is to say this, that if you truly value the freedom that God gives us in our souls and on our spiritual journey, then the structure of our lives must reflect that truth. Benedict was a a monk some 1,500 years ago. He's credited with creating this idea of the rule of life, and he says it this way, your way of acting should be different from the world's way. The love of Christ must come before all else. Jesus said it a little bit different. He said, no one can serve two masters. You can't be serving, you can't be under, you can't be trying to please two different things. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and Scripture says money. That's the context of the conversation that he's having. I would just encourage you to embrace that as a blank spot. You can't serve God and fill in the blank, period. It's God and God alone. Again, that doesn't mean we quit our jobs. It doesn't mean we cloister ourselves off from the world. It just means that when we set up the rules and structure for our life to produce freedom in the areas that we want, we ought to be intentional about what those things are achieving for us. So what rule of life do you need to put in place to intentionally structure your life around keeping God in the center? And while you probably can't quit your job and spend all day praying, as sweet as that sounds, um, you're in control. You're in control of the results your life produces. So if our goal as a spiritual community is to live in such a way that we keep God at the center of everything that we do, how might we live to achieve those results? What rules should govern our life in order to become people that Jesus wants us to become? Here's the fun part. I don't know. I, I can't tell you, right? This may surprise you, but, but you, you and I aren't the same person. Shocking, I know. Like, we're different. There are things that you enjoy that I don't enjoy. Camping, outdoors, hiking, all of those things are things that I don't enjoy. <laughs> Most of you love them. That's why you live in Colorado. We're different. It's okay. But the point being that when it comes to our spiritual journey, it's not one size fits all. It's not something that we can simply prescribe to somebody else's spiritual journey and just repeat the same steps and expect the same results for me, right? So a rule of life for me might be studying and spending daily time reading a book, studying scripture. But if you hate reading, it's probably not going to be a life-giving rhythm for you. Are you with me? Right? Same deal, that if you're a people person and the idea of spending five minutes in silence and solitude for spiritual reflection like has you clammy, that's okay. Maybe you should spend five minutes investing in somebody and having a conversation focused on your spiritual journey rather than spending it in silence and solitude, right? Now, there are things that we all have to do, should do, could do to grow in our spiritual journey, but the point is simply this. If you want to create a habit and a pattern, a rhythm or rule of life, it must be life-giving to you. 
No one else can define that for you. Only you have the key to figure that out. All right, it's a good thing we just got done talking about the rule of life and how we're supposed to create this intentional, conscious effort to keep God at the center of our lives. And how you do that is uniquely up to you. So it's a good thing that you're ridiculously in charge of your own life. So, so here it is. Here's what you paid for today. If you want God to be at the center of your life, find activities that help you do that and do them. See you next week. If you want God to be at the center of your life, if you desire this to be the case, find out the things that do that for you and do them regularly. Put them in to practice. Just like you have a morning routine, a driving to work routine, make them a part of your spiritual routine. Practice them regularly. Find out new areas, new avenues where you pursue and hear the voice of God and put those things in to practice, right? Because here's the good news. Jesus doesn't care about the things we do on the surface. He cares about transforming the deepest parts of your souls. And you could show up every single week to church and you could never be transformed. You could show up every single week here and never find yourself encountering the life-giving presence that Jesus wants you to have in your life. And we would arrive to the end of our days at eternity and we would go, Jesus, I showed up in church all the time. And he's going to go, so? I don't care about that. It's not about a check mark on a piece of paper. It's not about making sure that we have those things. It's about finding a rhythm and a ritual and a rule of life that helps us to achieve the deepest spiritual truths that we can glean from God in our everyday comings and goings. So if church helps you do that, Make it a rule of life for you. Make it a spiritual practice where we come together and we have a spiritual conversation. We spend time worshiping. That's awesome. If church isn't life-giving for you, find something that is. Find some way to connect with Jesus regularly that helps you carry on throughout your life and begins transforming you to the depths of your soul because nothing would be worse than doing all of the right things but having not accomplished anything worthwhile when we arrive in eternity. So I can't tell you what will work for you. I can't give you a list of do do's and don'ts. I can be a guide. I can be a sounding board. And I can give us a couple broad strokes this morning. So if you feel a need, if you feel pressure, if you feel a desire to create a rule of life, let me give you just a couple things here. Rule number one, start small. Start small. Don't go home and map out your entire life right? Don't go make a life plan about how you're going to spend 20 minutes of quiet time every morning and 15 minutes of silence every night, and you're going to fast three meals a week, and you're going to find time for regular spiritual retreats. I'm getting exhausted just thinking about it, okay? Don't write a manifesto. Write a bullet list, and then reduce your bullet list to one thing that you can put in practice. You've got about a month until Easter. Find one small thing, put it into practice, and then adjust accordingly. Find a way for you to find an opportunity to put more of God at the center of your life. And as you begin a new habit, if you don't feel God speaking to you through it, try something else. Find yourself a way to connect with God and give yourself the freedom to pursue it. A couple simple ideas here. Memorize a simple prayer or scripture to repeat regularly several times throughout the day. In the book, he recommends this simple one, Lord Christ Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
It may be as simple as memorizing, be still and know that I'm God when you've got kids helicoptering around you all over the place and you can't find a moment of rest. You may just need to memorize the scripture that's life-giving and to claim and to be able to say, God, I just need to remember that you're in charge and not me. Maybe it's taking 15 minutes for silence at lunch three days a week. Maybe it's praying before bed and looking back over your day with God and bringing him along in all of those stories and conversations. Again, these, aren't, uh, these are tried and true, but these may not work for you. These are just simply ideas for you to start with one thing. Fast for one meal a week. You've got a month, about a month until Easter. Try something. Start something small. Practice it from now until Easter. Evaluate it. See how it happens. Second rule of life takes trial and error. It's not one size fits all. It's not something you're magically going to stumble on. You've got to try something and diagnose it. Try something and diagnose it. Does this work? Does this not work? Is this life-giving? Not life-giving, right? Write your bullet point in pencil, not in pen. Erase and adjust accordingly. Add to it in seasons where you can or can't afford not to and remove it from seasons where guilt is gnawing at your ability. I'll never forget, uh, in high school, my youth pastor challenged us to read the Bible every single year. I started reading the Bible every single year in high school, in college, and into my adult life. As I was in ministry, in youth ministry, I found myself reading scripture and it was just dead words on the page. They weren't life-giving to me. Everything sounded routine and rote and memorized like I'd heard it all before. And through, so, through some wise counsel, I took a season off from doing the most foundational spiritual practice that's ever been established throughout the centuries. And guess what? It became life-giving again. When we practice these things that grow ourselves spiritually, we should expect them to grow us to a point, and then we need something else to grow us to the next level. You can't expect what grew you to this place to grow you to what's next, which is part of the issue with church on Sunday morning. Many of us got saved in an environment like this where you could bow your head and raise your hand and say, yes, I want to follow Jesus, and that's great to get you to that point, but it won't get you over the next hurdle that God might have for you. And the practices that you put in place from that decision, reading your Bible and prayer and small groups and serving in the church, might not get you to your next spiritual growth item. Are, are you getting that this following Jesus thing isn't a one-time decision where you raise your hand? It's a lifelong pursuit of grinding it out, of hearing from God, of finding new ways in which he wants to speak to you and in you and through you in your life. Right? So if reading your Bible for 15 minutes a day is absolutely not possible, try listening to it. Right? If prayer for you is just a wandering through the desert and you have no clue what to do or your, your house doesn't get quiet enough to pray, try journaling throughout your day, writing down spiritual thoughts and conversations with God. If you have crazy kids that you can never get a moment of peace, try that memorized scripture or prayer, something little to put in your life and just try it. And if it doesn't work for you, try something different. No guilt, no condemnation, just trying something out. Trial and error. So start small. Pick one thing, not a million things. Through trial and error, refine that down. Last but certainly not least, if you want a rule of life to be effective in your life, find a friend. Find somebody to journey and walk with. Find someone that you can connect with and go, hey, I want to try this. So I want you to ask me next week what I'm going to do and practice from now until Easter. Maybe it's somebody in your small group. Maybe it's somebody that you serve with. I would highly encourage this not to be a spouse because it just creates all kinds of other conflicts and you don't want your spouse holding you accountable in this manner. Trust me, it's just, it's no bueno. You don't want that. Find a friend, 
Find somebody that you can walk alongside with. And maybe it's the person sitting next to you and just go, hey, I know you sit there. And so next week, I'm asking me about my rule of life. And then has to have them return it back to you. Find a way to text somebody once a day, once a week. Sometimes throw it to go, hey, did you do that thing? Did you take your quiet time today? Did you fast? No, I didn't. I'm going to try again tomorrow. And have somebody walk alongside you and then continue that conversation. Yeah, I did, but it just didn't feel life-giving to me. I think I'm going to try something else. Well, maybe you could do this. I started doing this, and it really started working for me. Start small, use trial and error, and bring someone along on that journey. The spiritual walk is not meant to happen alone. And loneliness is a real epidemic in our society, in our world, and sadly, it's no different in the church. Often people walk in and leave just as lonely as they come. So if you want a rule of life to be effective for you, find someone that you can just have a real casual conversation with. Going, hey, that guy on stage told us to, so I'm just going to try it. You can totally blame me. Totally fine with that. If you want it to be effective, it's got to be there. So at the end of this series, here's the challenge. How do you do this? How do you do this? How do we find ourselves in a place where we're growing emotionally and spiritually, where we find ourselves intentionally living, keeping God in the center of our lives? The band's going to come up. We're going to sing one more song. And, and regardless of what's in that song, I just want you to have the freedom and space to interact with that. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a past message and you review and go back and think about something that was meaningful to you in this series. And you just go, I need to put that in practice regularly. Maybe it's something that you used to do and you're going, man, I used to do that. I I just got to get back to that. I got to get back to doing that thing again. Maybe you just need to ask somebody to come alongside of you. But the bottom line is this. You have routines for everything else in your life. You have intentional plans for your career, for your family, for your vacations, for your calendar time. You need an intentional plan for your spiritual growth. And in order to do that, you can create a simple structure that allows you to experience God and keep him center in your life. It just takes intentionality just takes a conscious effort. You can start small. You can fail a couple of times as you refine it, and you can bring someone along with you to help you discover a life-giving rhythm and ritual for your life with God. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you would just come and touch our individual hearts and lives, God, as we reflect on this truth, on this idea, on this option, God, that you would speak clearly to us of something that we could start small in our own life, of an area that we could come to find full life in you, God, that it would be a discipline that, while it may be a rule, but it is a rule for our benefit, that we would practice and put into place the things that you've spoken to us about, not only today, but in the this series. God, may this not be something we look back and go, wow, that was really good win, but may it actually impact us, and not just on the surface, but deep down into the areas of our soul, God, where you most desire to do your work. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom to move in and amongst us, to speak to us in those places. And as we worship you, God, I pray that you would meet us there, that you would give us wisdom and insight and opportunities to practice what we preach and to be true followers of you, not just in words, not even just in actions, but in true depth of who you've called us to be. Heavenly Father, we love you. We trust you. We trust in Jesus, and we trust now in your Holy Spirit's word and revelation to us. All God's kids said.
Shine your light in, let the whole world see. 